Welcome to the New Age Juan podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I talk about internal martial arts and Qigong and meditation. Uh, this week we profile Bruce Francis's teacher, Leo Hongjie uh, of Beijing. Leo was Bruce's primary teacher and is the source of most of the material that Jess and I teach. Then we get into the book. We go into the chapter on spiraling the upper body, talking about the arms and connecting the arms and legs to the body. If you want more information, you can check out our Patreon or our website, thenejachuanpodcast.com. Hope you enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Ninja Trend Podcast with Isaac and Jess. We've been discussing the book, Opening the Energy Gates of Your Body by BK Francis. And we've been going through the introductory material, talking about uh, his experiences in China, learning Chinese martial arts and meditation and stuff. Um, we've also been talking about the technical aspects of the Opening the Energy Gates set. So at this point in the book, we've reached the point where uh, the author is headed to Beijing. So here in the preface, it says, it was not until the summer of 1981 that one of Kumar's teachers in Hong Kong, Bai Hua, consented to give him a letter of introduction to his own master in Beijing, a man named Liu Hengjie. So this is the uh, this is the teacher that you know is 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 profiled in the book, who's who uh, BK Francis considers to be his main teacher and his sort of best teacher. Um, and I remember when I first got this book, you know, I was captivated by the stories of adventure and his meeting with this full-on kung fu master who is like the per the epitome of the greatest kung fu master. He's super old, but he's like strong and can he's a meditation master. He can, you know, he knows all these esoteric things. He's he's not only that, he's from an earlier generation. And you know, I used to read Bagua Journal all the time, and they kept talking about how teachers educated in the 1920s and 30s and 40s had learned from a previous more pure sort of strain than the, you know, post, um, you know, the later post-cultural revolution development of Wushu. There was this older sort of strain they called traditional Kung Fu. And this guy, Liu Hongjie is like the embodiment of it. He's just, the pictures are amazing. I mean, he just looks, he has these piercing eyes and he's really old and wizened. And, uh, I don't know. I found it so inspiring when I read this book. I was just like, it takes you on a Kung Fu adventure. You know what I mean? What, what did you think when you first checked this out? All right. So I first just back up a little bit. I first heard about Leo from the, before the book came out, there was a, a video that they had called Taoist arts journey or something like that. And it was, oh, yeah. uh, it was kind of their promo video. And in that, there was a short piece of Leo doing Bagua, <clears throat> a little bit of him and Bruce pushing hands and a short sort of summary of his life, you know, by, by, uh, the narrator. And so, uh, you know, w when the book came out, and like you say, that was super like, whoa, who's this old guy who, you know, and, and the way Bruce talks about him in the video, talked about him in the video was it was like, um, it, exactly what he said that, you know, he was that link to the past and mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the way he put it was the level of Picasso or something like that. So, you know, the, it's that just 
level of artistry in, in, in something that dying out and how, you know, he was the last of the original school and all that. Um, so, you know, the, the book comes out and it's got a longer bio. Yeah. It's still not the details of his life, you know, right. Still not the whole story, but just, you know, a good enough of it that you're like convinced that it, it was real. Yeah. <laughs> It, it takes you into a whole realm of like a kung fu movie or something, you know? Right. Well, that's that's what I mean. In the sense, for a lot of people, you know, especially people like me, and you know, in the West, but you know, your image of Chinese martial arts or whatever you want to call it comes from TV and you know, movies and stuff. And so it's always sure. this exact. It's always this exact or comic books, or right? You know, but it's always this exaggerated thing where white dude who goes to Asia gets his ass kicked by the establishment and then finds the old guy who's willing to like, you know, take him under his wing. You know, it's karate kid. You know, I mean, it's all of it, right? So, so. And I don't think that's just the West, right? I mean, I think in China, that's, that's what Leo Hung Jae grew up reading stories of great masters who were just like the bomb, you know? So the difference is you could just go down instead of, you know, just seeing it on TV or whatever, you could just go down the street, find someone who actually taught like an authentic thing, you know, where here it was like harder to find. And so we, I think, you know, we all kind of go into it with our sort of preconceived notions, you know, and that's one of the things that sort of threw me about learning this stuff was, you know, I had all these ideas about what people that did martial arts looked like and acted like. Bruce blew that out of the water real fast. It was like, you know, <laughs> and so did the people around, you know, I mean, when you get, you know, and you get tossed on the ground by like a 55 year old woman who's like half your size, it's like, all right, this is different. So now I'm going to draw from a magazine article, Yoga Journal, 1995, called uh, From Fire to Water, where uh, Bruce Kumar Francis describes his, his meeting with Leo Hung Jae once he takes that uh, introduction. In the summer of 1981, Kumar's prolonged effort finally paid off. Carrying a letter of introduction from one of his teachers in Hong Kong, Kumar traveled to Beijing and presented himself to the man who would become his final teacher, Leo Hung Jae. Um, so it describes Leo's training in Buddhism and Taoism in the mountains of southern China. Leo was a lineage holder in Tai Chi, Jingyi, and Bagua, and an adept in Qigong and meditation practices. He was a living legend in Beijing, an unpredictable and reclusive master. Like many of the traditional martial artists, Leo was not a public person. In fact, since the revolution in 1949, he had taught Xingyi and Bagua to only one man, Kumar's teacher in Hong Kong, Bai Hua. When Kumar had asked Baihua if Liu would take him as a student in Beijing, the instructor replied, who knows? He teaches virtually no one, and it's impossible to predict what he will do. That's another layer of mystery to this, is that he's going to go approach this, this super high-level master to kind of get the deepest teachings. But his reaction may be, you know, he may be get rejected in the process. Yeah, I mean, I think he um, may not have been the... By what may have not have been the only person that Leo taught, but he might have been the main one that Leo taught. Um, you know, I interpret that as saying he was, you know, he was the only one who went through like his full course of teaching. Leo may yeah, have taught yeah, other, yeah. other experts and gave him advanced training, but they yeah, weren't really like for students from the start to finish. I know there was a brief time, period of time where he taught Tai Chi publicly and things like that, which is pretty wild to think about too. But he was having a, a class in the park. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Uh, so I think Master Leo was that kind of, you know, pretty humble type of guy who would, that wouldn't be out I mean, of the character for him whatsoever. Clearly he was not, you know, prejudiced about teaching people from other cultures, which was a 
you know, that's a big thing in this. That's pretty amazing, honestly, that a guy of his generation, you know, born in 1903, would consent to teach a foreigner. That's actually pretty darn shocking. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, um, at that stage in your life, you know, where you might just rather, like, retire and live out your days, as they say, you know, rather than take somebody through a whole curriculum. Undaunted by Leo's reputation, Kumar petitioned to be a student. He was invited in and their training together began that day. Kumar recognized immediately that he had arrived at the wellspring of the knowledge he had so long been seeking. I was in abject awe, he says. This was for real. This was the mother load. His perceptual capacities were amazing. The clarity of his intelligence was mind-boggling. In five or six words, he came right to the nexus, right to the point. He was more than smart. He was a genius. Leo was cordial to Kumar at their first meeting. Uh, well over twice Kumar's age and less than half his size, Leo was able to pick Kumar up and move him any way he wished. Kumar, in, con in contrast, was literally unable to even move Leo's little finger. He was duly impressed. Leo told him there's more to having energy than just being big. So, I mean, it sounds like this highly educated guy was also, you know, such a martial arts expert that even in his later years, he was able to have a lot of power. I mean, he's clearly under 100 pounds, you know. Bruce always said he had the power of, you know, all his other teachers, but <clears throat> with this extra thing of, you know, just having just an abundance of power, you know, just the, the, I mean, the, the story I heard was, you know, Leo stood in the Santi position and, you know, Bruce tried to move his finger and he couldn't move his finger, you know, ah. that's pretty wild. <laughs> so that's the, yeah, that Santi posture where you're extending your arms and taking a strong yeah. stance, yeah. couldn't move him. That is kind of a traditional testing method in the Xing Yi training I've done where people press on the different parts of you to see how, how well rooted you are and how strong your structure is. So I think that's a pretty right. traditional way to test somebody's posture. And, the, and your little finger is usually not the strongest no. you know, part of your body, even if you are good. No doubt. So going on, he says, during the years that Kumar studied with Leo, he was frequently able to observe the results of the Taoist rejuvenation techniques that the older man practice. Um, so he said he would he would seem to de-age by, by doing intensive Taoist practice for a stretch of time. He'd come back so much stronger. Right. And I think that the Taoist practices were the, were the Neigongs. What we would call Neigong is that right. inner training. He describes Leo's uh, approach. It was under Leo's tutelage that Kumar made the transition once for all from the Taoist to the water, Taoist way of water. My personal path was definitely from fire to water, Kumar reflects. Fire is ego, going up against resistance, forcing its way through obstacles. Fiery people tend to be explosive. Fire mentality is the basis of Western culture. I want, I will make it happen. Um, so it sounds like, you know, Kumar was coming in with this somewhat egotistic, somewhat forceful approach to life. And then uh, Leo taught him this, uh, the water method is accepting your humanity. It's about patience. Obstacles are dissolved. You melt into it like water filling cracks. In the water method, you do everything to soften yourself, your mind and your body. You allow yin and yang to naturally pulse. It is full effort without strain. Nothing is going to happen before it's time. Then in time, it slides through like silk. So it sounds like, you know, this this is the water tradition that, you yeah, know, that's right there that he often speaks about that sort of sets Leo Hung Jae's teachings apart from the ones he had previously learned. Um, an extreme focus on softness, an extreme focus on allowing yin and yang to naturally pulse. 
Um, yeah. You know, and from my perspective, I think you've kind of got to you've got to make it pulse first, and then you learn how to make it naturally pulse. Right, and I mean he he you know he dubs it the water method, right? But it's it's just that saying that you're <clears throat> you're trying to achieve this sort of inner you know connection or whatever, not by force of will or by pushing, but by let first by letting go and then allowing you know the natural flow of things to occur rather than you know like i said using your intent to like make something happen and that's you know to me that's what sets you know his stuff apart is that it starts with such a gentle you know kind of letting go of everything which is actually not you know that's not easy to do no. so I mean, most people end at that point. You know, this school is asking you to try to do that from the start, which is really right. difficult. I mean, to ask me. So I think, you know, that the, the what Bruce would call the fire method starts with like the microcosmic orbits and that stuff, movement of chi through the body via intent, right? So your mind moves in a pattern and you're, you're like through your breath or something, you, you follow that pattern. But, but this one goes to the opposite, you know, to goes to, you don't make anything happen. You simply relax, release what, you know, what tension you have in your body or in your mind and you observe what's happening. And then you kind of ride that or you know, build off of what's happening. All right. Let's move on to the next, uh, to the technical aspects. All right. Turning back to chapter six of opening the energy gates of your body. Now we're going to look at the chapter called cloud hands, spiraling the upper body. Now we're going to get into the work of using the arms. Um, the spine connects the arms and the legs. A basic function of the cloud hands exercise is to connect the energy of your whole body to your spine, which results in the nerves of the spine integrating with the entire body without breaks or dysfunction. So he, he says there's three steps. The first is you join the legs to the spine. That was the last chapter. Second, the arms are joined to the spine. That's this chapter. And then third, the energies from the arms and legs are integrated through the spine. So there's sort of a three-step process. Um, and he says that that's connected to heaven and earth. But uh, um, so, I mean, to me, I thought I, when I first read that, I remember thinking that that seems like a very smart way to go. Like you, instead of just jumping into the full exercise, first you learn the legs, then you learn the arms, then you integrate them together to working with the spine. And that's a characteristic of this set where you really put together one small piece painstakingly at a time with the next, um, instead of just, hey, just merge everything at once till you get it right, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's also just the way Bruce teaches. I mean, it, you know, he, he breaks things down, you know, to a minute. Sometimes it, you know, feels like overkill, you know, in terms of how detailed things get. But, um, you know, it's very thorough, right? So you do, you don't just do something. You you do the part A, you do part B, then you do part A and B. If they if there's a part C, then you do part C, and so it's this it's this layering, this this you know, combining of of layers and and um there's a very methodical way of going through it and so you know that's the to me that's one of the great things about the way it's set up is that if you follow the structure of it you know and you and you do each piece in the order that it's sort of 
you know, design in quotations, right? That what you end up with is that you're at each stage, you've kind of done the prep work. And so what a lot of people tend to, you know, struggle with is that they haven't done the prep work. And so, for example, if you haven't learned to open and close your qua, you know, energy gates is difficult for a while, right? Where if you've, um, you know, if you've learned to do a certain thing with your body, then, you know, it, it's not that big a deal to, uh, you know, to integrate the next piece. And so that, you know, that, that thing of bottom top connected to, I mean, that, that pattern repeats itself. And, you know, basically with every one of the Nagongs that you learn, you kind of, you know, do some kind of, variation on that layering where it's like you do this piece then that piece then the two of them together um, right and you sort of build that and that's the genius of i think the opening the energy gate set in the form of the book it really takes you through each of those little steps then it's up to you to sort of integrate them and do them all as well as you can and you know and i think the danger is you could get overwhelmed with how many pieces and parts there are but you know like you said it's thorough i mean it, yeah for such a short book he pat he does get right. in you know, he, he, I'd say it's about half of it. Very, right? mm -hmm. you know, um, the stuff that he leaves out is not integral to doing it for you know the general population, right? There, there's more advanced things that that can be you know put in there, but he gets all he hits all the basics. You know, sometimes it's it's you know one sentence or something, but um, you know it's all in there if you slow down and read it carefully the emphasis on doing the lower body first i think speaks to the the struggle that most people have with it is not doing the upper body stuff it's doing the legs and the waist and that stuff so absolutely so yeah. the first exercise he has here is you connect the arms to the spine um first you raise the arms then you open the shoulder blades and then you sink the elbows so those are the first sort of three stages um and the first part is you you raise the arms to shoulder height, and then the, the forearms and the upper arms should be parallel to each other. Don't make a Y shape. So you keep your alignments really straight. So you don't let one elbow stick out or one arm go off a kilter or yeah. like overextend the arms. You just gently raise them in front of you. I think for a visual for most people, if you've done Tai Chi, it's the first move of Tai Chi. Right? Mm, the the opening of Tai Chi. So you lift your arms up and, you know, in front of your chest or whatever. It's about stretching out the stuff in between your shoulder blade and your spine. And so, uh, and, and even beyond that, he says to, to have the, each arm from the shoulder to fingers remains on the right and left energy channels of the body, which extend from the shoulders nest down to the quad on each side. So they're not way out to the sides. They're, they're sort of, you know, extending straight out from the shoulder. Yeah, I mean, there's caveats like you don't want to squish your chest too much, or if you have large breasts, you don't want to press against those, you know. But yeah, basically, it's it's if you put your hands out and straight in front of you on on those chan, you know, on those channels, you go in the right direction. So the next thing is to open the shoulder blades. So you relax the shoulders, letting them drop down, while at the same time rounding the shoulder blades. So I think I think of that as just softening all those back muscles that are that are holding up the arms and using the minimum amount of effort to expend the arms and just sort of hold them in place. Uh, yeah, what you're doing is you're stretching out the ligaments that, and that's what's holding it up. And then you're able to relax the muscles. 
The next thing is, it says to sink the elbows as if weights were attached to them, pulling them down. In order to do this, the area the Chinese called the shoulder's nest must be open, creating a hollow between the inner edge of the shoulder and the ribs. The shoulder's nest is a pretty important part of this process. When you when you open up this sort of this little hollow, this little cavity inside the inside the shoulder, the front of the shoulder here, um, that can really help your arms get more relaxed and at the same time stronger. So you you get stronger without exerting force or clenching muscles through through kind of this alignment, this connection. It's it's the so the shoulders nest and is the front part and the shoulder blade is the back part, right? Mm. So as you as you sink into the shoulders nest, it causes the you know not causes, but it it allows the shoulder blade to do that rounding. So it's not like those two things are happening um one and the other, right? Mm. So it's all happening at once. I mean you might have to do it one and then the other for a while, but uh-huh first you do it where you stretch out your shoulder and then you see oh i gotta relax my chest and then you kind of relax your chest and oh i gotta stretch out my shoulder and at some point you get that both of them are happening at the same time he's combining the raise arms open shoulder blades and sink the elbows kind of all at the same time and uh as you do that you know you can feel for that shoulders nest yourself if you extend that arm out in front of you massage in your upper front of your shoulder sort of above and to the side of the breast level up in this right at the edge of the shoulder you'll find a soft hollow um where you can sort of sink your fingers in as the arm extends out and then you'll be able to sort of find your own shoulders nest that's a pretty important important thing to do yeah i mean uh, again i'm probably jumping ahead but the big thing there is just when that goes in you want to make sure that you're not letting your spine or your head slump forward, right? That, that the, the stretch isn't coming from you pulling your head forward, right? Cause the, the whole, the whole thing of usually this is done as a two person exercise is where someone holds your chest still and they pull your arms out from your back. So you get the sense of not that it's pulling your body, your head forward, but that your spine and your chest stay still relatively and you're pulling that shoulder out and it isn't causing like your your a hunchback or your tailbone to stick up or anything like that so you know that that piece of just getting the the, the stretching out is sort of phase one then once it's out there you try to release it right and that's the the chun jun duejo the the dropping the shoulder sinking the elbow thing that you know that you let those two things go sort of after you've stretched it out. Right. And then, then it creates that soft link, you know, the, the stretching out is the, you know, that doesn't go away when you, when you release. And I think that's why it's, you know, important not to let your body slump or your head go forward or anything like that. And on top of all that, all the, you know, physical side of it, um, he he wants you to build up a strong energetic connection between the spine and the arms through this. The you were trying to connect the arms energetically to the spine, much like branches grow out of a tree trunk. It's the whole point of this is to weave a connection between your arms and the spine, so the arm doesn't have to act independently, but that your core body supports and drives the motion of the arms. Yeah, I mean it. it, it 
from a more physical standpoint, it has to do with your nerves and, and just getting things in your arms to not be crump, you know, to be squished so that as you stretch it out, you get this flow out to your fingertips. And that's why a lot of people, when they do this, you know, the, the sign that you're really getting that connection is you start to feel like a, a pressure moving from your shoulder to your fingertips and from your fingertips back to your shoulder. There, there's a certain amount of um, repacing or retracing your steps, right? Then, mm. you know, once you've stretched the thing out, that's only the first part. That's mm. just making the tunnel. Right? Then you've got to get something to go through the tunnel, right? So, you know, the, the, that connection, you know, that, that chi flow is, that's what happens essentially after you've made the physical link and mental link, right? So that, 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 you know, the result of pulling your, you know, arm out from your shoulder and relaxing your shoulder and sinking your shoulder blade and relaxing your shoulders nest and dropping your chest, all of that is to just kind of create the physical pathway, right? And then that's why, like, for example, the reason you have your elbow down is that the pathway is on that, on that channel between your hip and your shoulders nest. So if you put your arm on the physical channel, it takes less effort to get the energy to run through it. Right. So it's like training wheels. You, the Mm. body is the, you know, the, the body gives you the, 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 the track right and then you you slowly but surely kind of fill in the gaps and that's what the i think you know that first level of it just being this connection between your spine and your fingertips and so finishing up this section of the first exercise um he says to once you've got your arms you know out there and you've sort of done all these considerations now you shift your weight from one side to the other really slowly with the arms just stays out, the arms stay extended. And then you sort of take stock. Are my arms moving? Are they getting distorted? Am I able to maintain this connection while slowly shifting side to side? Um, it sounds simple, but it's a, it's an important part of the process, just getting that shift. It's the single biggest mistake people make in Tai Chi is that as they shift from one side to the other, they let their arms kind of drift towards that side. Um, you know, and, and so the 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 purpose of this whole thing, right, is to link your body, your your arms to, and legs to your body. So this thing of holding your arms out is saying, okay, your arms are now linked to your body. They're not moving yet; they're just holding a static position. And now you're shifting back and forth, right? Right. This is the main thing: is you, right, you've got your arms up in the air. Now move your legs, right? In some and way. So, and this is the most basic primitive, you know, essential way of moving is shifting your weight from one side to the other. And if you can't do that, walking is, is going to be, you know, not serve you as well. Exactly. And that's why the, the chapter, the previous chapter is on the legs, right? So he gives you the legs first because it's like, okay, if you can't do the legs and then you put something on top of it, all that's going to happen is it's just going to fall apart. So the amount of time that it takes you to go from chapter whatever five, which is the lower body to chapter six, which is the upper body, that could be a couple of months, right? It, it could take you a while to, could be a couple of years if you want to really get into the weeds with it, right? That, At that, least give yourself a few sessions, yeah. 
it depends on, you know, it depends on where you start. It depends on how much you practice, but it's going to take a period of time for that stuff with the legs to integrate before you can comfortably do something even as simple as hold your arms out in front of you. And that doesn't even bring up the thing of what happens when you hold your arms out in front of you for a longer period of time, right? So now you're getting into, um, you know, the stuff we talked about way back when in terms of just, I think we talked about it with Eric too, and and the thing about, you know, just holding your arms up in the air is a big jump from having your arms down at your side, right? And so, you know, this is saying, okay, you can, you, you can, or having your arms up and being still is different than having your arms up and moving. So this is just that basic kind of, you know, move to the side, don't let your arms drift, you know, um, and, and don't let them shrink back towards you and don't push them out. It's just, you know, maintain this, you know, it's, it's the magic 70% rule, right? If you maintain this, this connection, it shouldn't be difficult to hold your arms up and you should be able to move your body comfortably. And that's kind of where, you know, if you can't do that, then don't start moving your arms, you know, it's like, and I remember doing this stuff and thinking, what the hell is, you know, it was just, it was like, it was grueling to, you know, just 30 minutes of shifting your weight back and forth with your arms up in the air. And you're thinking, what the hell is this? You know, what is this for? And then, you know, obviously when you do the rest of the move, you go, oh, that's what that was for. But, you know, it, it seems a little bit odd at first because it's, it seems so simple, right? Especially when you watch someone who can do it, do it. It seems like you go, oh, I, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And then, then you try to do it and your body's like blah, 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 all over the place and your, your arms are wiggling and, you know, they're drifting to one side and one elbow's going up and one's going down and, you know, one arm's halfway out and the other, you know. And it's, it's sort of, you know, you just, you realize that your perception of what your body is doing is very different from the, you know, actual thing. And so, you know, that's kind of that, because this is the jump, right? This is the big jump from, all right, you're standing still and you're doing stuff to now you're moving and you're doing stuff and moving is, you know, a bit more involved than standing still. All right. Good talking to you. All right, bro. Take care. Hey folks, Isaac again, uh, just thanks for listening. Uh, like and subscribe, tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes if you really like it, uh, positive of course, and take care of yourself and don't forget to vote.